My name's Corn Dog, and I'm an addict. Um, my mother calls me Mark, just for the record. Um, I'm really grateful to be here. Um, Clean and Free took a risk because uh, nobody here has ever heard me speak before, and and um, Rudy kind of got out on a limb with this, so. Um, I hope I honor the request. I don't like to share a lot about my using. Um, I, I think that if you're sitting here, you know how to use. And if you're with somebody that, that um, you know, you don't use and you're with somebody that did, you, you'll, you'll get this too, you know. Um, I like to share about the first time I ever used, though, because in the time that I've been clean, I've, I've been able to walk backwards through my addiction, and 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 I've pinpointed that first time for me, and and um, it's relevant to where I'm at today. Uh, I'm the youngest of 14 kids. I have nine brothers and four sisters, and um, <clears throat> I don't believe that I had bad parents. I. I I believe today that they did the very best they could with what they had, but they were busy. They were real busy. <laughs> Not like that. Um, <laughs> you know, you know they they had a lot of negative. You know, with with 14 kids, and I'll tell you that by the time I was born, not everybody was at home. You know, I didn't grow up in a house like that with, you know, but there were probably nine or ten of us still lived at home when I was born. And um, and they dealt with all this negative all the time. I mean, managing ten kids in a household is, is a full-time job. And, and you know, the, the – and I wanted to kind of qualify this before I said it because it was easier to get slapped in my house than it was to get hugged. You know, it, it was easier to be yelled at than it was to be told, I love you. And so I developed this this habit of, <clears throat> you know, I, I knew every night 5, 6 o'clock was dinner time, and I'd come busting in the back door, and, and Mom would be in the kitchen, and, and she, you know, invariably would always say, where you been and what have you been doing? And and I would throw this out there, you know, uh I've been up in the mountains hunting bears, and the Indians were chasing me, and you know, and and I just barely got away, and and you know what? My mom would smile and hug me, and and that was my first shot of dope, you know. That was my first shot of dope because I wanted that hug, I wanted that love, and and you know, and my disease progressed through, you know, many different forms of of finding that hug, man. You know, finding that love, finding a, a way that I fit in, that I was a part of, you know. And, uh, hi, John. <laughs> I love you, too. Yeah. Um, anyway, you know, my disease progressed, and, and, and you know, my disease involved uh, a, a lot of violence and the penitentiary and, and um, you, you know, just all, all of that stuff that so many of us can share about. And, 
And you know, um, November 27th of 1996, I did my last shot of dope. <clears throat> and, and I didn't know it was going to be my last shot of dope. You know, um, and, and I have to tell you that we talk about this all the time. And, and when I got here, I didn't understand what people were saying when they said the dope didn't work no more. And, and you know, the last time I did a shot of dope, I got loaded. But I still felt like shit. And, and I did dope not to feel like shit. And, and you know, um, there were, there were a lot of, uh, of other circumstances that went with that and and you know as as I tell the rest of my story you know you'll hear some of that but but the deal was man the dope didn't work for me that day you know I'd reached that point where I couldn't live with or without dope you know I couldn't I couldn't stop feeling the way I felt and um and I ended up with a pistol in my mouth and uh and I told Brandon I would share this for him you know uh, about my OCD. I'm one of them people, man, that everything's got to be in the right place. I turn the labels on the cans in the cupboard and line my shoes up and, you know, and I'm sitting in the cab of this pickup truck and I'm fixing to shoot myself cause, uh, because the dope don't work no more and I can't stop feeling like shit. And, um, and I couldn't shoot myself because I couldn't live with the mess that I was fixing to make, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy how this disease works, man, how how it manifests itself in our minds and and you know um I'd been to the penitentiary 3 times um by the time I reached this point and um anyway, I'll get it right. Um I was actually headed back for the fourth time. And uh I didn't care. You know, the penitentiary was cold comfort for me. You know, somebody was going to do my laundry and they were going to cook my meals. And uh and my wants and needs would be taken care of. And um, I I don't know what happened. You know, I don't, I don't know what happened that night. Um, I believed I, I reached out to a God that I didn't believe in, that I didn't think existed, and and I had a prayer answered. And um, I ended up, in, in you know, I, I like to talk about some of the miracles in my life, um, some of my second step stuff, because this was second step stuff for me. But but I ended up in this treatment center in uh in Omaha, Nebraska where I couldn't have went if I didn't have an honorable discharge from the army. And and you know the deal with that was is that I was I was court martialed in the army. And um and and you know um and some of y'all will get this, some of you won't, but they didn't take it real seriously. I, I had a carjacking charge in the in the army but they didn't take it real serious because I was naked. And, and um, the LSD people got that, you know. Um, and I was court-martialed. And, and, I mean, it, it was a serious deal. And, and you know, they took all my rank. They took my money, you know, 
everything they could do to me, give me hard labor without confinement. Um, but at the end of that deal, man, I didn't want to be there anymore. You know, at the end of that hard labor, I, I didn't want to be there. You know, I, I didn't feel like I fit in, um, you know, like I ever felt like I fit in. And I, and I remember going to my commanding officer saying, man, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. And, and you know what? I was willing to accept whatever he gave me so I could leave. And, and you know what? That was in, um, 1984. And, and he wrote me an honorable discharge. And I was home in three days. And I never understood how I ended up with an honorable discharge. I never believed I deserved an honorable discharge, you know, but, but, you know, a little bit later in my recovery as I'm working a second step and where it talks about, you know, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. It was, it was clear evidence to me that a power greater than myself was working in my life a long time before I would ever acknowledge there was one, you know, that's the only explanation I have for that situation. And, 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 you know, um, this attorney that I had seen on this case that I was going back to the penitentiary for for the fourth time had gave me a list of treatment centers. If you've ever been to the penitentiary, if you've been more than once, you might think you're a lawyer, because I did, you know, and, and, and I thought we could beat this dope case, and he didn't believe that we could. And, and I remember handing him the money, and, and, and I said, look, man, just do what I tell you to do, and, and we'll get through this, you know. And, and he said, I'll take your money, but I can't help you. And, uh, and as I'm walking out the door, you know, I, I said, well, it don't make no sense for me to leave no money if you can't help me. And as I'm walking out the door, he said, listen, I didn't say you couldn't help yourself. And for the first time in my entire life, man, I mean, at, at, at 31 years old, I heard somebody say, you have a drug problem. And he slid me this list of treatment centers and, and them treat, treatment centers were in alphabetical order. And that one I was talking about was the very last one on the list, you know. And I called every other treatment center on that list. And, and the only place that had a bed was, was that last one, you know. Uh, the end of November in Nebraska, our, our homeless shelters empty out and our treatment centers fill up. That's just the, that's the reality of it, you know. Um, so, so I end up in this treatment center, and, and I got to tell you that um, I said November 27th was uh, was the last day I used. I call the 28th of November my clean date, you know, 1996, and um, that was Thanksgiving Day, and um, and I didn't get into treatment until the following Wednesday, and. And, you know, I, I I heard a friend of mine describe it as stark raving clean. And, and that's exactly what I was when I got when I got to this treatment center. And, and you know, when I walked in, they. Um, they had a crack uh, part of part of their program was that they. Um, they had a different 12 step fellowship come in every Wednesday night. Seven o'clock, they had a meeting, you know. And the first Wednesday, this was like December 2nd or 3rd, and the first Wednesday of the month happened to be 
Narcotics Anonymous. So my very first meeting ever was a was a Narcotics Anonymous H&I meeting. And um, and this guy comes in and he's um, he's he looks kind of familiar, but I don't think I really know him. And and he starts to share and and you know what? And I started to process what I was what I was seeing and. And you know, and I and, and I never heard him talk about the penitentiary. I never heard him talk about, you know, I, I made it pretty clear I shot dope. You know, he, he didn't talk about shooting dope. He didn't talk about doing the kind of dope I did. Uh, he didn't have a motorcycle. He didn't have no long hair. He didn't have no tattoos. And I've disqualified him. You know, because I believe that that if you've got a message for me, you got to be where I've been, or or done what I done, or do what I do, or or whatever it was, you know, I was stuck on all that outside shit. And and as I um, as I listened to him share, you know, they they say that when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. Well, that was my situation, man. I I was done doing dope that day when I when I did that last hit. I was done, you know. And, and do I believe that my recovery is a given? Absolutely not. But I was done that day, you know. Um, my miracle happened, you know. And it's, I, I figured out it's my job to, to sustain that miracle, you know. That's part of what I'm doing right now. But, but you know, this guy started sharing and he, and he, and he shared about Fear and shame and guilt and loneliness and, and degradation and dereliction and all of the things, man, that make up addiction. <laughs> and I'm sitting in this room and, and, and I'm the only biker, you know, long haired, tattooed. I think I'm the toughest son of a bitch in the room. I can, I can take all these guys because that was part of my inventory when I, when I would walk into a room. All right. Who do I got to get first? You know, that, that, that mentality. Which one do I got to, which, who's the biggest threat? And I, and I'm going, there's no threat in this room, you know. And, and this guy's sharing about all these things. And I, I find myself crying. Because he shared a clear, precise, narcotics anonymous message. He didn't talk about me. He didn't talk about what he had to offer me. He talked about himself. And and I didn't have nothing to argue with. I, I couldn't, you know, there was nothing he said that I could, could refute, that I could, you know, say wasn't true because all he talked about was himself and about where his addiction took him and, and what it was like for him and, and, and what, you know, what had happened and how it was now. And, I felt emasculated, you know. I, I felt like my manhood had been taken away. I, th- I felt like he had stripped me naked, you know. And 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 so part of my story is I was married when all this went on. And, and every time I'd get out of the penitentiary, I'd come home, I'd force my wife into treatment because she was doing too much dope. And and she was getting in the way of my using, you know. I, I had an agenda and... and she she needed to be out of the way for a minute, you know, and and so and I and I'll tell you this is some of my fifth step stuff, but I I would force her into treatment, 
And then when she would come home from treatment, I made it hard for her to go to meetings. You know, I, I would accuse her of, of going to meetings to meet men and, and you know, to, to shirk her responsibility with her children and, and things like that, you know. And, and you know what? That was one of the hardest things for me to get real about in my fist step, man, because um, I don't think I'm responsible for her recovery, but I made it really hard for her to stay clean while she was married to me, you know. And um, i got to get back to where I was. The, um, boy, I lost it. The, um, you know, this, this guy's sharing, I'll, I'll go back to that, and he, and, he, and he shares all these things, and I'm, and I'm listening to him share, and I'm, and I'm just feeling naked, you know, and, and, um, I ended up, Oh, I, I know. My point was, I knew I needed a sponsor. I'd heard her talk about a sponsor. She had, you know, she'd brought enough Narcotics Anonymous home that I knew that the first thing you were supposed to do was get a sponsor. And so, and so I asked this guy. I said, "Hey, man, you know, he's running out the door, and I got the snot going and the tears, and I'm like, will you sponsor me? And and uh, and and you know, and he said, No, I don't sponsor people right now. I'm da 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 da. Wow." But he's, you know, he said, man, this dude right here, he'll sponsor you. And, and, you know, two of them had come in to do this meeting, and I hadn't really paid any attention to this other guy. He had long hair and tattoos, <laughs> big old burly guy, beard. I'm thinking, yeah, you know, yeah. So so I asked this guy, and, and I said, hey, man, I, I, I said, I need a sponsor. Will you sponsor me? And he says, look. Every Friday, man, we come down here with the bus and we we pick up all the guys that are in this place and we take them over to the meeting and uh, get on that bus when it comes in, come to the meeting on Friday night and, um, you know, I'll talk to you about it there. And I said, all right, that'll work. So Friday night comes and I get on the bus and we go down there, you know, and and I said, hey, man, uh, you said you'd talk to me about, about being my sponsor, you know. He says, um... I got this other guy right here I'm working with right now. He says, come back next Friday night, man, and I'll, and I'll talk to you about that. I promise, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't know that's the NA way, you know. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know. I, I didn't know I was getting juked, but he was, you know. And, and, you know, and I got the same story the next Friday, you know, and, 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 you know, it was a 28-day program, man. I leave that program. He says, you're ready for a sponsor now, you know. He said, I don't want to interfere with what you were doing there. He said, um, here's what you're going to do. And, and, he, and he made out this list of things that he expected of me. And, and you know, um, I thought he was a perfect sponsor. He looked like me, he talked like me, he acted like me, been where I've been, looked like I look, you know, the whole deal, man. Um and he worked out really well for a while, you know. And and I remember, um, I remember being about 90 days clean. And you know, I, I want to back up a little bit before I go into all that. You know, I, I left that treatment center and I went to a three-quarter way house, and um, and I didn't have a driver's license. I had no insurance, but I had a vehicle, 
And so I told them I had a driver's license so they wouldn't take my vehicle away from me. And I told them I had insurance. And, and, um, and the first place I got involved in service work, man, was, was committing a whole bunch of misdemeanors by, I'd overload my truck. I'd get like six or eight guys in my truck from, from the three quarter way house and we'd all go to meetings together. And, you know, there were only like three or four nights that they'd let me out of this place to go to meetings. And, um, and I was going to this little Sunday night meeting, and uh, I'd been going there for about a month. And I, I got about 60 days clean, and and they said, hey, um, you got the vehicle. You know, how would you feel about having the, the keys and making the coffee, opening the door for a month? Can you do that? And and, and I said, man, I'd be honored, you know. That would be awesome. I, I would love to do that. And And so my first organized service position was secretary for this meeting and um and you know i'd make sure i was there early and open the door make the coffee and and do all that stuff and like i said i was married and um and you know what my my wife her agenda was you know he's out of the way you know just like i would do when she'd go to treatment you know he's out of the way i'm it's on like a pot of neck bone, you know, as we say down home. <laughs> um, well, and and I'm a roofer, and and I, you know, and this is winter time in Nebraska, so the work's real slow. So I'm I'm cutting it to go home every once in a while, you know, see my wife, and you know, and they're telling me. Don't go home, man. That ain't a safe place, you know. If you go home, we're going to take your wheels and, and you know, um, I wasn't, I wasn't willing to follow that direction. And, and you know, I show up at the house one afternoon unannounced and, um, and I walk through the front door and my wife's sitting in the living room doing a shot of dope. And, um, you know, like like we say back home too, that's where the shit hits the fan. Because, uh, you know, I didn't have a program. You know, I was running on about 60 days clean, 70 days clean, something like that. And and I didn't have a whole bunch to fall back on, you know. Um, and I got sick. I, I, I threw up on myself. And I couldn't stay in the room because my, my thoughts were, take that dope from her and do it. You know, that was all I could think in my mind was, take that dope and do it. And, and you know, and I stepped back out the door and I, and I collected myself for a minute. And, um, you know, uh, this comedian that, that some of us are familiar with, he had this catchphrase for, for a couple of years there where he talked about, First thought wrong, you know. Well, well, my second thought was wrong, and my third thought was wrong, and my fourth thought was wrong. And around the fifth or the sixth thought that I had was, if you go back in that house, you are not going to open that door on Sunday night, and then people aren't going to have a meeting. You got the keys. And... And, you know, I didn't go back in, man, and I got in my truck, and I went back to where I was supposed to be, and I didn't go home no more, you know. And I found out that some of them suggestions are made for a reason, you know. Um, 
That was 11 and a half years ago or so. I ain't been without a service position since then. You know, um, what happened that day taught me a real valuable lesson, man, about about the different facets of this program, about sponsorship and and literature and regular meeting attendance and and you know and working steps. You know, uh, if if them things ain't in place, man, and you got five bad thoughts, <laughs> you know, you're not guaranteed a sixth one. You're not. I, I learned that. Um, you know, I I um, I ended up leaving that that treatment program and 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 getting out of that three quarter way house and and um, and I got really involved in service work in Narcotics Anonymous. That that sponsor of mine, that perfect sponsor, looked like me, acted like me, talked like me guy. He was the um, he was the H and I chair, and uh, you know um, the result of that dope case I had, and and this was a first for me. The the dope case that I came in with, man, when they sentenced me. Uh, I, had, I had found some level of humility at about four months clean, and I had went in front of the judge, and and he said, "Do you have anything to say before I sentence you?" And and you know, um, I, I was hooked on NA, man. I, w- I was hooked on what was going on here, and I said, "You know, I found something here that I've never found anywhere else in my life," and and you know. It really don't matter if you send me back to prison because it's just prison. But when I come home, I'm coming home clean. And and you know, and he looked at me and he and he, you know, I I have quite the case history, you know, and he tapped it and he says this right here says that if you ever stop doing what you're doing, I'll see you again. I you know, your 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 whole life is up to you. It's it's about the choices that you make, and you make one bad choice, and this says I'll see you again. And and you know, and he sentenced me to two years probation. And I'd never had probation. I'd never made a parole. You know, that kind of freaked me out. Um, you know, um, in this. The sponsor that I had, like I said, he was the H and I chair, and, and he and he got me involved in H and I work, and 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 I got to tell you that that you know our fellowship in Nebraska, man, is is a child. It's 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 probably an adolescent now, you know, uh, in comparison to what I see here, you know. But we're growing and we're coming along, and and we're right where we're supposed to be, but. But you know, our H and I was real unorganized, man. When I got involved, and and you know, nobody had an H and I handbook. You know, nobody, not the chair, not any of the facilities. We went nobody, and and you know, we kind of did things off the cuff, and and um, you know, we we paid the price for that. You know, as a fellowship, we paid a price for that. But but you know, he takes me to this H and I subcommittee meeting. And we're sitting there, and, and um, I, I think I had four or five months clean, and, and he nominated me as the H&I vice chair. 
because he thought that'd be a good spot for me to be in, and and um, and he was the chair, so he could keep an eye on me and mentor me and all that stuff. And and then he came back the next month and resigned as the H and I chair because he was going to be the area chair. And it worked out really great, you know. Um, you know the 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 deal was is that um, it took us a long time to get organized, you know, like that. But but our fellowship was young, and and that's how it worked. And you know, I I, I want to share something else um, to back up a little bit. When I when I left the treatment center that I was in. I was I was told to cut my hair, get out of the roofing business, and get my ass into an AA meeting because there was no recovery in Narcotics Anonymous. And um, I don't do well with direct commands like that. <laughs> Obviously, you know, um, you know. And I and you know I listened to all that treatment jargon and, and and all the stuff that goes on there. And one of the things they'd said to me is, "Don't be part of the problem. Be part of the solution." And they hate it when you turn that shit around on them, you know. Because when this gal told me that, I said, "You know what? I think I'll hang out in Narcotics Anonymous and 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 get some recovery there, you know." And and you know I'm 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 still an NA member and and you know I don't go to other meetings and and I don't attend other fellowships you know um, I I will tell you and 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 this is my own personal thing that I I travel a lot and sometimes I'm in really small towns and there ain't no Narcotics Anonymous and and so I'll hit other meetings if that's where I need to be that day you know. If that's where I need to be, I'll go. But it ain't something I do out of choice. It's something I do out of necessity, you know. Uh, and I am grateful to the other fellowship because without them, we wouldn't be here. Um, I ended up the H&I chair in, in Nebraska. And, um, you know, things just moved along. And, and I got to tell you that, that the perfect sponsor, the guy that looked like me and talked like me and acted like me, um, you know, he, he wasn't a real step worker, you know, and uh, and therefore I wasn't a real step worker. And, and, you know, at about a year and a half clean, man, a year and a half clean for me, the perfect sponsor disappeared. He walked out the door and he never came back. And uh, and I was faced with a dilemma, you know. Um, there weren't a whole bunch of guys in my area that looked like me and talked like me and acted like me, you know. And and um, I was at this um, I was at this spaghetti dinner and and there was this guy in my area, man, and his name's Joe W. And and um, And he looks like a cop. I don't know how else to describe it. You know, he's like 6'3". He's got this $40 haircut. And, and his his pants have creases and his shoes are shined. And, and you know, a lot of the times he'd wear a shirt, you know, with a collar on it. And, and this is something new for me, like in the last five years. But um, 
He did it all the time. It, but you know what, man? I'd, I'd hear him in meetings, man, and he'd share good shit. And, and I would see him interact in the fellowship, and what he shared matched what he said. You know? It, it, we're at this spaghetti dinner, and he walks by me, and he's headed out the door. And I said, hey, Joe, I need to talk to you. And I'd been like 30, 40 days without a sponsor and and he says hey i gotta pick somebody up i'm coming right back i'll get with you when i get back and then and then the wheels started turning you know that bad neighborhood thing we heard him talk about you know i got in my head i'm like what the hell do i want to talk to him about you know and um you know i i self-talked in that bad neighborhood up there that we call our minds for like 20 30 minutes till he gets back and i thought man the only thing i can think i want to talk to the guy about is i need a sponsor you know, and I asked Joe to sponsor me, and, and um, Joe's been my sponsor for 10 years. And um, he don't look like me, he don't talk like me, and he don't act like me. And Joe's about working some steps, you know. And I asked him to sponsor me, and, and um, he says, I want to, I want to meet with you and I want to talk about what I expect from you as your sponsor before, before we make this agreement. You need to know what I want. I need to know what you're looking for and let's see if we can get on the same page. And, and I sit down with Joe and I, and I said, look, man, you know, I need somebody to kick my ass and make me work these steps because that's what I thought it, he, he would want to hear me say. And he said, you know, I'm really sorry. I thought we could work something out, but uh, I might not be the guy for you. And I and I started to panic. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, man, I am not in the ass-kicking business. You know, my, my philosophy is you're not going to do anything you don't want to do. And if I try and make you do something, you're not going to do it to the best of your ability. You know, so why make you do it? And, and you know, the, the disease thinking starts kicking, kicking again, and I'm like, fuck, I don't have to work steps with him either, you know? <laughs> and, and you know, and he said something to me that we hear said all the time, but I don't know if we all always do it. He said, I will love you until you're ready to love yourself. No matter what you do, who you do it to, what your reasons for doing it, I'm going to love you till you're ready to love yourself. And I said, perfect. You know, I said, perfect. It was a year and a half later. And I have to tell you that, that I was Mr. N.A., man. I, I, uh, I, I served on all the subcommittees, and I chaired the ones that I could get my foot into. And, and you know, I was, I was hustling inmates from the work release center to meetings. And, you know, I had something going eight days a week, 30 hours a day, you know. And, and I didn't have a program. And, and you know, um, I believe that all of us work most of the first step before we get here. I truly believe that, that you got to have a real good grip on the first step to walk into your first meeting and sit down. I did. But see, in, in my arrogance, I thought I understood the first step. I thought where it said addiction, I thought that meant dope. 
And that don't mean dope. And see, the easiest thing I have done since I got here was not use. Not using is simple. If you don't put it in your hand, it can't get in your body. It's that simple. I have not touched any dope since I got here on my own. I've, I've helped flush some dope, and, but not using is the simplest thing I've done since I got here. I talked about, you know, earlier about it was easier to get slapped in my house than it was to get hugged. I learned as a child that, that Sometimes you had to hit people to get things done. You know, I brought that behavior into recovery with me. You know, I've been in many a fist fight in Narcotics Anonymous because shit didn't go the way I thought it ought to go. You know, um, and that's just a whole list. I, I mean, that, that's just one thing on a big long list of bad behavior that I brought into the rooms in Narcotics Anonymous that didn't get treated when I quit using dope. You know, I thought the word addiction meant dope, and it don't. Not for me. Addiction is is all the shit that I do that I use dope to cover up and not feel. Um, you know, one of my biggest struggles, man, is has been my sexual behavior in Narcotics Anonymous. Um, there were some women here when I got clean, man, that had a lot of time that thought I was an attractive guy, and, and um, they didn't have a problem letting me know it. And, and you know, it's like any other, and, and you know what, I ain't trying to place no blame nowhere because I did what I did. But, you know, my, my deal was, man, I liked them girls, and some of them were married, and, you know, and then I liked the new girls that were coming in, and, you know, I liked all the girls. And, and you know, and I didn't have a problem Letting them know I liked them, you know, and I gotta and I gotta tell you that that at three years clean, I, I hit a bottom, man, on my sexual behavior, you know, that I, I I had I had backed my I had created an atmosphere in Narcotics Anonymous where I didn't feel welcome, you know, uh, they they considered me a predator, they. Uh, they they thought I was unhealthy, that, you know, no matter how many service positions I held or how good my recovery looked, I was a sick individual, man. And, and you know, the result of that was, and, and like I said, I had some behaviors that didn't go away. The same pistol that I stuck in my mouth November 27, 1996, went back into my mouth in 1999. You know, I hadn't got rid of the pistol yet. You know, I hadn't changed anything except I wasn't doing dope. I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. You know, I, I gotta tell you that I believe Narcotics Anonymous is the last house on the block for a true addict. You know, and I had fucked that up. And I didn't want to get loaded. And the only thing I could think to do was kill myself. And that's a real scary spot because I had nowhere to go. And then I remembered that I had this sponsor that told me he would love me no matter what. No matter what I did, who I did it to, what the reasons were for doing it. 
And I called him. And I laid it out, man. I laid it out. And, and I told on everybody, including myself. You know, everything I'd been doing with everybody I'd been doing it with, married, single, new, old, didn't matter. I told it all. And, and you know, and he, and Joe said, so, so how's that? Let's, let's, all of that's today. Let's talk about yesterday for a little while. How's that relate to your other relationships? How, and and we spend about three hours on the phone, man. And and he says, you know what? He says relationships are the hardest part of a fourth step. He says, I'm willing to give you a pass on that part of the fourth step. He said, you still got that fourth step working, guide? And I said, yeah, I still got it. He said, why don't you finish that up and give me a call? Give me a call when you're all done. Give me a call if you got any questions while you're doing that. And you know, and in two weeks, man, I'd worked a fifth step. And then I worked a sixth step and a seventh step and on and on and on and on. You know, it's been eight years since I stuck that pistol in my mouth. I wish I could tell you, stand here and tell you that my sexual behavior changed immediately. You know, it didn't. It didn't. You know, but I was entirely ready, you know. I was entirely ready, and and you know, the process was, man. It it became different, and uh, you know, I don't have to do them things today. You know, I've got I've got different clean dates for different things. Like I ain't put no button, I, I ain't put my hands on anybody in an act of violence in six years. You know, I ain't, I ain't hit nobody in anger. And, and you know what? That's huge for me. That's huge because that's all I knew. You know, um, I was allowed, um, I was allowed the privilege of, of, of working a ninth step with my mother. And, and I got to tell you that one of the times I was in the penitentiary, I wanted to color TV. And, and my mom was not about buying no inmate a color TV. <laughs> and, and that's exactly how my mom viewed me. You're an inmate, you know. You're not my baby. <laughs> you are a ward of the state, you know. And I manifested in my mind this relationship with my mother since I was a little bitty baby about what a horrible mother she was and how she mis mistreated me and abused me and, and you know. And I didn't speak to my mother for nine years. And and I gotta tell you that that when I when I talk about being the youngest of fourteen kids, my mom had four and my stepmother had ten. And I got two or three stepfathers, you know. I mean, we were good Catholics, but we moved around a lot, you know. <laughs> there was no dysfunction in my family. Um, I um, I was about 18 months clean, and... Um, and my mom would call the house to talk to um, 
her grandchildren. And I would answer the phone and I would realize it was her and I would say, Mary Beck's on the phone. And I would hand somebody else the phone because I wouldn't even speak to her. And um, one of my brothers called me one day and, and said, Mark, Uncle Tom died. My mom's brother, her closest brother, they were, they were very close. And, and with about 18 months clean, man, I had learned here in Narcotics Anonymous that, that, you know, we have to reach out to each other when we're hurting. And, and I rem, I didn't have, I didn't have what I needed, you know, to reach out to my mom. I didn't, and I remember talking about about it with my first sponsor, and, and he said, you know what, all you have to do is call and say, you know what, I I heard about your loss and I'm sorry. You know, I'm 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 sorry you lost your brother. And so I made that phone call, and that was a really hard phone call for me to make. I mean, because I still. You know, I had manifested that horrible childhood that I had in my mind, you know, and, and it was all bullshit. I mean, I, I had a great mother. She loved me. You know, she she wasn't about no bullshit. She wasn't about buying color TVs for inmates or any of that kind of shit. But she loved me. She always loved me, and she took care of me, you know. I mean, she was a great mother. And so I called her, and I said, you know what, I'm sorry about your brother dying. And she said, what do you want? And I said, I just want to tell you I'm sorry about your brother dying. Thanks. And she hung up on me. But you know what? That started a dialogue. That's, that, that opened up a door. You know, I had to take the, the, the first action in that, in that whole scenario. I, you know, that phone call was followed by another phone call, was followed by another phone call. And they, each one of them got a little bit longer in, in, in duration. And, and um, my mom died in 2005, and um, and you know I was able to 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 spend four years living a ninth step with my mother. In the in the last couple of years, she was alive. She was really really sick. She um, she wasn't homebound, but she wasn't able to do very much. So. So I was allowed the privilege of, of going to her house and cutting her grass and putting her in the car and taking her to the grocery store. And, and, and I was allowed the privilege of being a son. You know, and, and without the fellowship of Narcotics Anonymous, man, that might not have ever happened. And when we talk about the gifts that come from recovery, that's one of my gifts. You know, I was, I was working in, in Kearney, Nebraska, which is about two and a half hours from where I live. And, and you know, um, my mom knew she was really sick. And I was on my way home, and I had just been uh, elected the alternate delegate for Nebraska. And, and uh, our regional convention was that weekend, and I'm on my way home. And I called her, and I said, look, I'm going to swing by, cut the grass real quick, and, and if you need to go anywhere, let's do it. And and uh, I'm going to go to the convention, and then on Sunday night I'll come back, and if you want to do anything, you know, I'll, I'll hook you up, you know. And, and she said, you know, I, I want to tell you a couple of things. And, and we had been talking about her dying. And, and she goes into this, 
this deal and I'm like, hey, you know, I don't want to talk about it. Let's let's just do it on Sunday when I come over. And she said, you know, we're not having a conversation. She said, I want to tell you some things. Not, I'm not expecting you to respond. You know, that would be a conversation. That ain't what we're doing. You know, <laughs> no nonsense, gal, man. I, I love my mom very much, and and you know, it was the last time I ever spoke to her. You know, I, I called her Sunday, and she didn't answer, and I thought, she, you know, she just didn't feel good. And she had told me, I may not answer, and if I don't answer, just go back to Carney. And, and you know, and I got a call at 3 o'clock in the morning, and my, my mom had died. The last thing my mom ever said to me was, I love you, and I am so proud of you. You know, I I spent seven and a half years in the penitentiary. I was essentially uh, institutionalized from like age 15 to almost age 30. I never expected to hear my mom say, I love you and I'm proud of you. You know, them were words that I just did not expect to ever hear. And that's the gift of Narcotics Anonymous. That's why I'm clean today. Not... Not for 11 and a half years today. That's the one thing that sustains me in my recovery today. Um, I have a 23-year-old son that's serving in Iraq right now. And, and, you know, between the ages of 0 and 11, I spent seven and a half years of those in the penitentiary. I didn't get to raise him. And... I worked a ninth step with my son, and he looked at me like I was retarded. You know, I, I said, you don't know how much you missed out on by, by me not being a dad. There's things that are going to happen later in your life that, that, that you ain't going to know how to handle because I wasn't there to help teach you. And he said, where are you going to be? <laughs> you know, where are you going to be? You know, and I got to tell you that that I have a relationship with that young man today that that is that is phenomenal, you know. He's like I said, and he's uh, he's in Iraq, and I and I bought him a phone that plugs into the computer. It's the coolest shit. Plugs right into his laptop, and he can call me anytime he wants. And he calls every week, and we talk. And and you know we don't talk about surface shit, man. We talk about the real deal, you know. He can't call his mom and talk about being afraid of dying, you know, because she ain't going to handle it right, you know. She ain't going to handle it right for him anyway, you know. And I get to do that for him, you know, and he can't, he, you know, it's just phenomenal. And, and you know, I, I, I heard some of the other speakers, you know, talk about, you know, raising their children. You know, the one thing, you know, working backwards in my inventory, the part that I started with, you know, I just wanted somebody to tell me they love me and give me a hug. My son can't get in my face without getting a hug, you know, and he can't be in front of me and leave without being told I love you. He can't hang up the phone without me saying I love you. My son doesn't have to, you know, that's breaking the cycle of this disease, you know, is is providing what I needed so much. When I worked my ninth step with my mom, and, and, and you know, and 
I mean, when I took my list in and sat down and said, because, you know, there was so much that happened in our home. You know, shit would disappear, and with eight or nine kids around, they had, you know, everybody got an ass whipping, you know. <laughs> and, and you know, so I had to go back and make amends to my brothers and sisters, too. But I took, I t- <laughs> I took my list. I took my list. I don't know what's on theirs, and I don't care, but I took my list in there, and I said, you see all this, Mom? All this is mine. I'm the one took that pistol. I'm the one that took that turkey roaster. I, you know, I don't even know what I did with it. Um, but you know, <laughs> I put on a pot of neck bone. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and we had a conversation about my dad, and and my dad. My dad died in 1990, and I was in the penitentiary, and and it was a really hard deal for me because I was daddy's boy too, as the baby. Dad, dad was the codependent. If mom wasn't, dad was, and and you know, um, it, it it was real grievous for me when my dad died, man, because my 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 hookup was gone, you know, but. I wanted to talk to my, you know, my dad had this disease and I wanted to talk to my mom about, about, you know, how I felt about my dad having this disease and, and, you know, and, and, and I learned a very, very, very valuable lesson, man. And, and, and the lesson I learned is we do the very best we can with what we have. And, you know, and my dad's story was his mother was a prostitute and she had six kids and, and they were locked in closets or pushed under beds while she turned tricks and, and you know, and then when it got too ugly, man, they all got farmed out to different foster homes. And and you know what? In the in the 40s and the 50s, man, foster homes weren't no great deals, you know. And and they got abused there. And and you know what? My my old man never given ass whooping that wasn't due. You know, he might have handed them out freely to everybody because somebody wouldn't cop to what was what what was real. But you know what? He never whooped an ass where it wasn't due. And and you know, and 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 what I remember about my dad was is that my old man never did anything with me that he couldn't do with with without a beer in his hand. You know, we never played catch, but we went fishing. You know, um, you know, we went to a lot of stock car races. We went to a lot of baseball games, shit like that. And so I, 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 you know, through that self-inventory, I wanted to blame him for me being an addict. He could, he could never tell me he loved me. He could whip his wallet out and peel off a couple hundies, but he couldn't say I love you, you know. And and you know, I, I got this whole addiction thing figured out. So I go in and I lay that on my mom, you know. Dad fucked me up, and she said, "What are you talking about?" And and you know. And she told me my dad's story, you know. She said, if you'd asked your dad, he was the best possible father he could have he could have been. Because based on where he came from, he did a hell of a job. You know, my old man brought the paycheck home every Friday, and it went right in the bank, and the rent got paid, and the groceries got bought, and the lights were on, and the heat was on. And, and you know, she said, your dad did the very best he could with what he had. And you know, and, and, and now I have to take that on. I have to do the very best I can with what I have. Um, 
you know, um, I'm going to share this and I'm going to be done. Uh, I believe that all of our literature is a, is a two-sided deal. And, and you know, and, and when I talk about that, I mean the traditions. I mean the traditions apply to the group as well as they do me personally, you know. And one of the things that I've learned in, in, in like the last five or six years, man, is, is our, our, our pyramid, our, our symbol, is equally two-sided. Just as it applies to the fellowship with the broader our base, the higher our peak of freedom, so it applies individually. Um, I travel all the time. I'm, I'm blessed with the ability to, to go to many, 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 many different places. And, and, you know, I've attended meetings on three different continents and, and probably 35 different states. And, and, you know, one of the reasons I'm here is, is because I've broadened that base and I've rose my peak of freedom. And, and you know, last November, man, I, I talked about changing that sexual behavior and I finally made a commitment to one woman and, <sighs> It wasn't the right one. And, <laughs> and, and you know, and, and, and I got my heart broke. And, and, you know, I can stand here at the podium today and laugh about it because I'm at this podium because of that, that circumstance, man. In November, I flew out here uh, to spend a week with, with Johnny and Brenda, and, I'm, and I met Rudy, and I slept on their couch, man, and I healed in a place where it was okay for me to heal. You know, because this woman was in the fellowship in Omaha, man, and, and, you know, and lines got drawn and situations got exaggerated and, and, you know, all the shit that we do to each other, man, happened. But because I broadened my base and rose that peak of freedom, I had somewhere to come and heal, man. And Rudy, Rudy said, hey, are you coming out for clean and free? And I said, yeah, he said, great, you're going to be the alternative speaker, you know. And, and, you know, and, and I just heard Karen share it in the other room, man. And, and you know, there was a name uh, that, that, that didn't get read on that list, and that, that name is Randy Dibing, and he was from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And, and, you know, when Randy died, he had about 24 years clean in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And, and you know, 24 years clean ain't a long time around here. 24 years is, is dinosaur shit in, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, man, you know. But I heard Randy stand at the podium, man, and he say, and he said, you know what, I'm grateful for every shot of dope I ever did, and I'm grateful for every day I spent in the penitentiary. I'm grateful for every failed relationship and every lost job, because if them things didn't happen, this moment right now might not be happening. So I have to be grateful for my past. I've shared a lot of things tonight, but I want to summarize all of it, and, and I do it in this way. Um, uh, when I got here, I was racist, I was homophobic, and I was a male chauvinist, and I didn't like men. And when I went to that three-quarter way house, they stuck me right in a room with a homosexual. And it just made me nuts, man, because I hadn't dealt with all those issues yet. But, but you know what? Like all the issues that I walked in here with, man, God found a way to transcend all that and to move me past that to get me a place where I could hear things and see things and be a part of instead of apart from. And you know what that man told me? He's, 
he said, this is a really simple program for complicated people. And he said, I can summarize, and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm using his stuff, man, and he's dead. He dr drank himself to death because he couldn't take his own advice. But he said, it's, it's, it's just this simple. Don't use, be kind, and be helpful. And if you're looking for God, he's in kind and helpful. Thanks for letting me share.